We've been talking about uh, the DNA of Spruce Grove Alliance Church, and we've been talking about thriving spiritually, building community, and reaching the lost. Primarily up till now, we've been talking about uh, thriving spiritually, and, and we, we kind of journeyed through uh, the importance of you know, being a person of the book and being spirit-led, and we talked about how important it is to uh, lean in and uh, uh, follow Jesus with all that we are. And that truly, the sign that we're following Jesus a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I talked about how, how you, you, you know you're following or thriving spiritually is when you're fully engaged. And that it's not a mental assent. It's not something that we just simply affirm. It's not doctrines or practices that we check off and go, yeah, I'm there. Thriving spiritually speaks about how our lives follow hard after Jesus. Um, today I want to talk about uh, building community. And, and, you know, in some ways I think we... we uh, we, we understand the importance of community, but in other ways, I think we, we, we have blinders. <laughs> I was made aware of it this week. I was, my, my boys are really keenly interested in heaven and hell right now. This is one of the conversations that theologically they're wrestling through. And so um, they were asking about heaven. And I, I realized I have a blinder here. I, didn't, I, I never saw it before. And so they're like, what's heaven going to be like, Dad? And I was like, well, you know, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. I mean, isn't that cool? And uh, they're like, yeah, yeah. I said, like, it's a big mansion. And man, it's just going to be so awesome. Like, I can't wait. There's going to be a mansion for Scott Buck. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be made just by Jesus. And oh, I can't wait to be there. And, and, and my boy looks at me and goes, um, that, that are, are you going to be alone in that mansion? <laughs> I never thought of that. And I was like, um yeah, I don't know if I want to be alone in that mansion. We are so um, centered on ourselves, aren't we? We have such a spirit of entitlement. Uh, we, we don't always see the value in community. I wonder, do we even have a good theology about community? I ran across this great quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, I don't agree with everything Bonhoeffer says. Just to give you a bit of a context, he was a theologian during uh, the Second World War. He, he stood against uh, Hitler and uh, sought to represent Christ. Uh, his brother invited him to uh, assassinate uh, Hitler. And Bonhoeffer, at first... Uh, request said, no way, not, not going to do it. To live by the sword is to die by the sword. He said, I'm not going to get involved. And, uh, and then his, his brother-in-law, you know, challenged him more and said, is it not better that one should perish instead of what Hitler's doing? And so Bonhoeffer jumps in and he seeks to help and uh, he gets caught and uh, in his attempt, and thrown in jail. And um, as the Allies were, were recovering or taking over, and Hitler knew he was losing ground rapidly, he had a contempt for Bonhoeffer. He, he told the guards of Bonhoeffer to put him in a moving truck so that if the Allies get closer, they just keep moving him around. And then just prior to Hitler um, um, taking his own life, he told the guards to kill Bonhoeffer. And so that's what they did. Listen to his quote here. I think it's uh, 
captures uh, something that uh, we need to hear. Let him who cannot be alone, this is found in your digging deeper notes on building community in the bulletin. Let him who cannot be alone be aware of community. Good word, eh? If you're sanguine, if you're like love the party, love to be with people, never want to be alone, uh, be careful. Let him who is not in community be aware of being alone. Each by itself has produced uh, profound perils of pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the voids of words and feelings. The one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Hmm. There is an important balance that we need to strike when we talk about these things. Thriving spiritually, we talked about the importance of personal devotions and chasing hard after God. But we also need to be a part of community. This morning I want to talk about the importance of building community, even from God's perspective. If you have your Bibles, turn here with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew 10. We're going to read uh, the first four verses here. Matthew chapter 10. You know, from God's word, as recorded from Matthew, uh, the disciple of Jesus, who was a tax collector. Verse 1, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits and cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the 12 apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the sons of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth of your word here this morning. We pray that you would speak to us here and that we would hear from you. Help us to appreciate the importance of building community. Help us to... uh, have a sense of our own blind spots. Um, Maybe because of our brokenness, maybe because of hurt or past pains. Help us, we pray, O God, to hear your heart on these matters and seek to allow your spirit to conform us into your image to accomplish your goals and means. May it be so, we pray, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Community and the importance of community I love the idea of community. I love that it's God's idea. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, in eternity past was in community. Have you ever wondered why God does the things that God does or why God calls us to accomplish His goals and His means the way that He does? (laughs) I mean, think of the mission uh, to declare the gospel of all people everywhere. Uh, Think of the mission of Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why does Jesus call community to accomplish his goals? But that's what he does. It's fascinating to me that Jesus, of all the ways that he could have accomplished the goal of declaring the gospel, he chooses community to do it. It's unbelievable. I mean, he could have chose angels. Uh, 
I mean, angels would have had a far greater uh, impact on people in some ways. It would have been far more dramatic. It would have been unbelievable. Nothing would have hindered them. Uh, angels aren't broken. They, they're perfect. They, they could have spoke with such clarity. They would never have to have answered for their mistakes. God could have done that, and he didn't. He, he could have, with a thundering voice, spoke to humanity and said, this is the way it is, follow me. Jesus Christ has died in your place. He could have done that. All through the Gospels, we see God the Father speaking through a thunderous voice. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He could have done that, but he doesn't. No, he, he sees the value of community and he calls together 12. 12 guys. And he begins the process of helping them understand the mission set before them. Why? See, God places high value on community because he is the God of community. See, in eternity past, for all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit dwelt together in perfect community. Perfect community. Lacking in nothing. You see, God didn't create humanity and the world and the universe because God was wondering how to fulfill his existence. No, God was completely, completely satisfied. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for all eternity dwelt together. I wonder what that looked like. I can't grasp it. I'm merely human. And to grasp it, I'd have to be God. But I know it's true. The, the scriptures declare the triune God dwelt together, hung out together. We're in perfect harmony, one with each other. There's great value there. And now as he rolls out his plan... His plan to reach humanity with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he builds community again. He gathers together 12, probably from the 72, probably from the larger crowd, and he, he sort of appoints them as disciples, as apostles. He calls them. In verse 1 of chapter 10, he, 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 Matthew says that he called to him his 12 disciples. He calls them. He, there's an intentionality here. He's, he's, saying, he's saying to the disciples, you have a specific role, a specific task. You're called to serve in this capacity. It's intentional. So often, we're not like that. We don't view community intentionally, do we? We, we, we view community primarily uh, in, in, in a sense of convenience. Uh, how will this community serve me? How will I be better for, for what uh, my, my participation in community will bring? We, we don't see the value of call. 
Acts chapter 17, verse 36, Paul speaking to the uh, uh, Stoic philosophers on Mars Hill. And there he says, he says that God has determined the time and the place of our existence so that we would know God, that we would grope after God, though he be not far from each one of us. Friends, you live in Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, Parkland County, or if you're visiting, wherever it is you're visiting from, by the act of God. God was intentional about your existence, your geographical location. He was intentional about the time of your existence that you would know God. And it's not just true of you, it's true of those who live around you. It's true of those in the midst of your community it, it's also true, profoundly true, that, that it's, it's, it's true here in our midst. I, I would suggest that God has called you to serve the body of Christ. I, I would suggest that God has invited you to be in the midst of community. Because God is a God of community. For God, it's of high value. It's extremely important. And in some ways... It's more important than the mission because God could have used far different ways to accomplish his goals and means that would have been far more effective than us. But God in his infinite wisdom decided to use broken people, obscure people, ordinary people to accomplish his goals and his means. He calls the 12 disciples together. But even though that's specific to them, it's true of all of us in one sense or another. We're not all called to be disciples. We're not all called to be apostles. That's not what I'm suggesting. But we're called to be a part of community. And God in eternity past has determined our time and place of our existence. He has determined that we would live when we live in order that we would accomplish the goal of knowing him, though he be not far from us. God calls the 12 disciples together and he gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. To heal every disease and every affliction. We, we read that and we go, wow, that, that's kind of neat. And, and wow, maybe we have that capacity. Maybe we have that authority. And maybe we're allowed to, is this specific to the disciples? Well, there's a similar call to the 72 in the Gospel of Luke, where he gives them authority to accomplish these missional uh, initiatives. But let's not get hung up on the authority that's given to us to accomplish the mission. Let's look at the specifics. He names the 12 apostles, says verse 2. He names the 12 apostles, and I love that. There's something personable about that, something specific. He starts to unpack who they are. Notice uh, at the large group of the 12, you may be hard-pressed in some, uh, with some of them to find a lot of information on them. Some of them are mentioned in the Bible just merely in the list one, two, or three times. Fascinating to me. But, but isn't that how God operates? Doesn't God take the obscure 
the meek, the humble, the ones who aren't looking for fame and popularity? Doesn't God consistently take those who, who just serve in humility to accomplish his goals? As a matter of fact, the ones who are most noticed in the scriptures are the ones who, who we see their weakness. <laughs> we see their brokenness. We see their failure for all to judge, scoff, and laugh, and relate with. The name of the twelve disciples are these first. First, or among whom Simon was called Peter. Peter seemed to have a, a special place with Jesus and the disciples. He seemed to be the leader. He was the one who spoke uh, so quickly, shot from the hip. He, he saw great things because he was willing to, in a sense, attack things. He was the one who walked on water. Picture that. They're in the boat. They're struggling to cross the sea. Jesus remains on the shore to worship God and to send away the 5,000 that had been fed. Peter sees him, and so do the other disciples. They're afraid. I love what I think is Mark says, that Jesus was going to pass them by. That's interesting to me. He was going to walk right on by them as he walked on the water. Wasn't going to help them. You know, I'll meet you on the other side. Pass them in the midst of their struggle. They call out, hey, Jesus. If it's you... Have me come. That's Peter. Jesus says, come. (laughs) Peter, I love it. You know, you can just picture this guy who's fished all his life, you know, climbing out of the boat. My mind's eye gets real. I love it. Can you see it? He's climbing over the edge. (laughs) And you can just see him going, I don't know, man. It's deep out here. You know, I, well, I sit on the edge, get that other leg over, and then sitting there, okay, okay, I'm going to look at Jesus. Whoo, you know, and walk. Oh, that's Peter. Peter was so bold. When Jesus started to speak about his death, he said, no way. I'll die with you. That's Peter. He, he was a fisherman. It was his brother, Andrew, who invited him to come meet Jesus in John 1.40. I think we found the Messiah, Peter. You got to come. Peter was called to this community, his abrasive personality, his warts, his passion and love for Jesus, his all-or-nothing attitude, called to community. I wonder what it would have been like living with Peter for the other disciples. I wonder if they thought, man, Peter, like enough already. 
Peter, come on, Peter. Why do you get all the spotlight? I, I wonder what it would have been like for Andrew, his brother. Andrew, we don't know a ton about him. Andrew was the inviter. He was the one who seems to invite Peter to come and meet the Messiah. He's the one in the feeding of the 5,000, brings the, the, the bread and the fish to Jesus. He's, he's a softer sort of invitational. People trust Andrew. He, he, he wins over crowds. People, people like to be beside him, like to do what he asks. He has relational equity. <laughs> but he's brothers with Peter. What would life have been like being brothers with one of the disciples? With the challenges, the ups, the downs, when things go sideways, when, when it doesn't look, when Peter, it's a shame-based community. When Peter embarrasses the family, you got to wonder what Andrew's thinking. Like, Peter, enough already. You're embarrassing me and dad. Like, stop it. Andrew. Andrew was so committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, like his brother Peter, went and preached the gospel abroad after Jesus commissioned him in Matthew 28. His famous brother died upside down. Peter died upside down because he wasn't worthy to die like his Lord and Savior. That's Peter. Probably under Nero in Rome. Andrew, Andrew, church history says, also died crucified. Terrible death. Community. Well, then there's James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Another set of brothers. James, we we don't know tons about. He's one of the closer ones. From what we can gather from the New Testament, it seems like Peter and Andrew, James and John, were in a fishing business together. They... They worked together. They were the core of the disciples. They were the closest ones to Jesus. James, a fisherman, the elder uh, brother of John, probably. Not a lot said about him. Lost his life, beheaded for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John. John the Beloved, he, he seems tender to me. We always read about John and how he, his head is on the breast of Jesus. He's, he's kind of a bit of a touchy-feely guy in some senses. Yeah. But strong and steady in his convictions, smart and theologically astute. Read John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John. He's intellectual, and yet he's tender. He's not abrasive. He's the only one who doesn't die a martyr's death, and yet his life is tough and complicated. 
He serves well, probably up in Ephesus after Jesus. He ends up on Patmos, and that's where he gets the vision of revelations that we read about. He's not sure if he's going to live or survive, but it ends up that he gets back to Ephesus. He's the one who takes care of Jesus' mother, Mary, from what we can tell. And it seemed in keeping with his temperament and personality. These are the four of the twelve. This is what God has called together to build community. And as we can see, it's, it's distinct. It's unique. It's not all rosy. It's challenging. Philip. What can we say about Philip? We know very little about Philip. He was a, a fisherman. That's what we can tell. He was the first to be called by Jesus to follow, and he responds. He was hanged for his faith. Bartholomew, of course there's Bartholomew. He's from Cana of Galilee. He preached the gospel abroad and was skinned alive. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the twelve. These are the disciples. Thomas, of course, the doubter. Thomas, he, he asked hard questions. But he was also brave. It was him who said, let's go and, and die there, Lord. That's Thomas. He was courageous. And yet he... He needed to know that he needed to know that he needed to know that Jesus truly had risen from the grave. We are indebted to Thomas. For he is the one who touched his hands, his side, his feet. Matthew, the tax collector, the one who writes the gospel that we are reading today, he self-identifies as a tax collector. That's where he comes from. He was despised by the Jew because he worked for the Romans. He was despised because he was collecting money to pay the Romans from everyone who came to port. And and then he would skim off the top. One of the twelve. Matthew, Levi, faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ended up in Ethiopia declaring the good news. Somewhat adventuresome. Somewhat willing to to go to great lengths to preach the gospel. That's Matthew. And it was in Ethiopia that he died. A martyr's death. James and Thaddeus, we know very little about. Simon the Zealot. He was a religious leader who sought to undermine the Romans. That's what the zealots were all about. It was rebellion against Roman rule. If Simon were in our speaking, he would have been trying to recruit people to take over the Romans. That's what he would have been doing. Come on, let's, let's stop the Romans. Let's bring the kingdom of God. Let's, let's, let's stop them. Don't be a coward. Pick up your sword. Let's go. 
That's Simon. And then there's Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. That's what Matthew notes. I believe it's John who says he is the devil. The one who took care of the finances. The one who got mad at Jesus when the woman weeping and kissing the feet of Jesus breaks the perfume and rubs it all over his feet a year's wage. Judas Iscariot. Community. What we see here is such a diverse group of people that Jesus prayerfully calls together into a community to do mission. Friends, Spruce Grove Alliance Church is about thriving spiritually. It's about building community. May we understand that community is not easy. May we understand that community is difficult at times. Because we're not all alike. Sometimes we get a nostalgic view of the 12 disciples. We, we think, wow, I mean, they had it. It was so cool. And these guys, man, they just got along so well. And, and everything was just so beautiful. I, I don't think so. James and John, the brothers of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, they, they argued over where they got to sit when they were in heaven, and all the disciples were furious with them. How dare you? We need to see the value of community. It's the triune God who calls us into community. It's the triune God who has determined the time and the place of our existence. It's the triune God who invites us to join Him in His mission. It's the triune God who takes the obscure people and turns the world upside down. My encouragement to you, to me, to us this morning is to embrace who we are. Not to settle and to lower the standard, but to embrace who God called us to be, to be set free from the tyranny of pleasing everyone else. And that we would seek to please Him and Him alone. That we would trust who He's called us to be, and that we would trust His invitation to bring transformation to our community as we collectively join in mission. See, it's so fascinating to me as we read Matthew chapter 1, Jesus calls the 12 disciples. He names the 12 disciples. And he tells them, listen, you're going to get authority. You're going to get authority to to cast out unclean spirits. You're going to get authority to heal the sick. And then what happens in verse 5 is the part we don't like to talk about because it's, it's not as glamorous. 
In verses uh, 5 through 7, he goes on to say the 12 Jesus sent out and he instructed them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, he goes on to say, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, you received without paying, give without pay, require no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or staff. The laborer deserves his food. Behold, now listen closely. Behold, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. No, no shepherd lets the wolves get to the sheep. It's going to be hard. Eyes wide open. Therefore be wise as serpent, innocent as dove. Beware of all men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogue. We don't like to talk about this. We want to camp on the, the healing. We want to camp on the, on the casting out. We want to camp on the, on the, the, the good and the, the easy and the, the celebratory stuff. But here Jesus says to his 12 disciples as he's building community, communities for mission, guys. He's saying, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpent, innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogue. You listen to me, brother will be against brother and brother will deliver over his brother to death father his child children will rise up against parents and and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake you see a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master follow me jesus says Community's worth it. Don't do this alone. Do it together. We need each other. We bring our brokenness. We bring our frailty. We bring our personalities. And sometimes we want everyone to be just like us. And yet Jesus, Jesus calls the 12 together and they come from every walk of life, zealots to fishermen to tax collectors, one with royal blood from what we can gather, but only one and nothing's mentioned of him. Little is said about most of the disciples, they just serve in obscurity, content to please the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He calls them together into community and then he sends them out into mission. Friends, we are called to be in community. The triune God calls us to be in community. He places a high value on it. We got to learn to get along. We got to learn to forgive each other. We got to learn to love each other. We got to learn to walk together, pointing to Christ, our Savior. 
And then we need to lean in, lean into the mission of Jesus Christ, recognizing that God calls us to a high purpose to declare the gospel, but there will be great opposition. But we're not in this alone, we're in this together. And so we can carry one another's burdens. When one falls down, we can pick the one up, we can serve together. And keep our eyes fixed on him. For we are plan A, plan B, plan C. There is no other plan for the mission of Jesus Christ. We are the plan. And it's found in the midst of community. We're called. Called to serve together. Let's stand. We seek to thrive spiritually. Not that thriving spiritually is an end in itself. It's not. To thrive spiritually is to know Jesus Christ, the Lord, and to serve him faithfully. To thrive spiritually is to lean in and to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, to be sanctified. We're called to thrive spiritually. But we're not called to thrive spiritually in isolation. No, we're called to thrive spiritually collectively together. We're to recognize that we all bring different things to the table. Different hurts, different pasts, different personalities. We, we come together and we need to be gracious one with each other. But always calling to the higher standard of walking with Jesus Christ our Lord. We're called to be on mission with Jesus together, not alone. May we lean in. May we lean in and extend grace one to another. Forgive one another or ask for forgiveness if need be. May we lean in recognizing that that God has made us different, but together we're better off. May we lean in. Because this is important to Jesus Christ the Lord. And so it's important to us. And so, Father, here we are. Standing before you. Help us, we pray, to see the value of community. And may we be a part of building it. May we be willing lean in. Help us with our hurts. Help us with our past. Help us to look in to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we seek to serve you in the future. God, would you give us relationships and community that's deep and profound we would journey together and accomplish your ends, your goals, your means. For we pray this all in the precious name of Christ.